0: COST IS OF NO IMPORTANCE. TWO STORIES BY RICHARD MATHESON THE NEAR DEPARTED The small man opened the door and stepped in out of the glaring sunlight. He was in his early fifties, a spindly, plain-looking man with receding gray hair. He closed the door without a sound, then stood in the shadowy foyer, waiting for his eyes to adjust to the change in light. He was wearing a black suit, white shirt, and black tie. His face was pale and dry-skinned, despite the heat of the day. When his eyes had refocused themselves, he removed his Panama hat and moved along the hallway to the office, his black shoes soundless on the carpeting. The mortician looked up from his desk. Good afternoon, he said. Good afternoon, the small man's voice was soft. Can I help you? Yes, you can, the small man said. The mortician gestured to the armchair on the other side of his desk. Please. The small man perched on the edge of the chair and set the Panama hat on his lap. He watched the mortician open a drawer and remove a printed form. Now, the mortician said, he withdrew a black pen from its onyx holder. "'Who is the deceased?' he asked gently. "'My wife,' the small man said. The mortician made a sympathetic noise. "'I'm sorry,' he said. "'Yes,' the small man gazed at him blankly. "'What is her name?' the mortician asked. Marie, the small man answered quietly. Arnold. The mortician wrote the name. Address, he asked. The small man told him. Is she there now? The mortician asked. She's there, the small man said. The mortician nodded. I want everything perfect, the small man said. I want the best you have. Of course, the mortician said, of course. "'Cost is unimportant,' said the small man. His throat moved as he swallowed dryly. "'Everything is unimportant now. Except for this. I understand. She always had the best. I saw to it. Of course.' "'There'll be many people,' said the small man. Everybody loved her. She's so beautiful, so young. She has to have the very best, you understand?' "'Absolutely,' the mortician reassured him. "'You'll be more than satisfied, I guarantee you.' "'She's so beautiful,' the small man said. "'So young.' "'I'm sure,' the mortician said. "'The small man sat without moving as the mortician asked him questions. "'His voice did not vary in tone as he spoke. "'His eyes blinked so infrequently the mortician never saw them doing it. "'When the form was completed, the small man signed and stood.' The mortician stood and walked around the desk. "'I guarantee you you'll be satisfied,' he said, his hand extended. The small man took his hand and gripped it momentarily. His palm was dry and cool. "'We'll be over at your house within the hour,' the mortician told him. "'Fine,' the small man said. The mortician walked beside him down the hallway. "'I want everything perfect for her,' the small man said. "'Nothing but the very best. "'Everything will be exactly as you wish.' She deserves the best. The small man stared ahead. She's so beautiful, he said. Everybody loved her. Everybody. She's so young and beautiful. When did she die? The mortician asked. The small man didn't seem to hear. He opened the door and stepped into the sunlight, putting on his Panama hat. He was halfway to his car when he replied, a faint smile on his lips. As soon as I get home... THE FUNERAL Morton Silkline was in his office musing over floral arrangements for the Fenton obsequies when the chiming strains of, I am crossing o'er the bar to join the choir invisible, announced an entrant into Clooney's cut-rate catafalque. Blinking meditation from his liver-colored eyes, Silkline knit his fingers to a placid clasp, then settled back against the sable leather of his chair, a smile of funereal welcome on his lips. Out in the stillness of the hallway, Footsteps sounded on the muffling carpet, moving with a leisured pace, and, just before the tall man entered, the desk clock buzzed a curt acknowledgment to seven-thirty. Rising as if caught in the midst of a tete-a-tete with death's bright angel, Morton Silkline circled the glossy desk on whispering feet and extended one flaccid-fingered hand. "'Ah, oh, good evening, sir,' he dulceted, his smile a precise compendium of sympathy and welcome, his voice a calculated drip of obeisance. The man's handshake was cool and bone-cracking, but Silkline managed to repress reaction to a momentary flicker of agony in his cinnamon eyes. "'Won't you be seated?' he murmured, fluttering his bruised hand toward the grieved one's chair. "'Thank you,' said the man, his voice a baritone politeness, as he seated himself, unbuttoning the front of his velvet-colored overcoat and placing his dark homburg on the glass top of the desk." "'My name is Morton Silkline,' Silkline offered as he recircled to his chair, settling on the cushion like a diffident butterfly. "'Asper,' said the man. "'May I say that I am proud to meet you, Mr. Asper,' Silkline purred. "'Thank you,' said the man. "'Well now,' Silkline said, getting down to the business of bereavement, "'what can clunies do to ease your sorrow?' The man crossed his dark-trousered legs. I should like, he said, to make arrangements for a funeral service. Silkline nodded once with an i am here to succor" smile. Of course, he said, you've come to the right place, sir. His gaze elevated a few inches beyond the pale. When loved ones lie upon the lonely couch of everlasting sleep, he recited, let Clooney draw the coverlet. His gaze returned, and he smiled with a modest subservience. Mrs. Clooney, he said, made that up. We like to pass it along to those who come to us for comfort. Very nice, the man said, extremely poetic. But to details, I'd like to engage your largest parlor. I see, Silkline answered, restraining himself only with effort from the rubbing together of hands. That would be our eternal rest room. The man nodded affably. Fine, and I would also like to buy your most expensive casket. Silkline could barely restrain a boyish grin. His cardiac muscle flexing vigorously, he forced back folds of sorrowful solicitude across his face. "'I'm sure,' he said, "'that can be effected.' "'With gold trimmings,' the man said. "'Why—' "'Yes,' said Director Silkline, clicking audibly as he swallowed. "'I'm certain that Clooney's can satisfy your every need in this time of grievous loss.' "'Naturally,' his voice slipped a jot from the condoling to the fiduciary, It will entail a bit more expenditure than might otherwise be. The cost is of no importance, said the man, waving it away. I want only the best of everything. It will be so, sir, it will be so, declared a fervent Morton Silkline. Capital, said the man. Now, Silkline went on briskly, will you be wishing our Mr. Mossmound to deliver his sermon on crossing the Great Divide, or have you a denominational ceremony in mind? "'I think not,' said the man, shaking his head thoughtfully. "'A friend of mine will speak at the services.' "'Ah,' said Silkline, "'I see.' "'Reaching forward, he plucked the gold pen from its onyx holder, "'then with two fingers of his left hand "'drew out an application form from the ivory box on his desktop. "'He looked up with the accredited expression "'for the asking of painful questions. "'And,' he said, "'what is the name of the deceased, may I ask?' "'Asper,' said the man.' Silkline glanced up, smiling politely. "'A relative?' he inquired. "'Me,' said the man. Silkline's laugh was a faint coughing. "'I beg your pardon, sir,' he said. "'I thought you said me,' the man repeated. "'But I don't—' "'You see,' the man explained. "'I never had a proper going-off. "'It was catch-as-catch-can, you might say. "'All improvised. "'Nothing—how shall I put it? "'Tasty.' The man shrugged his wide shoulders. "'I always regretted that,' he said. "'I always intended to make up for it.' Morton Silkline had returned the pen to its holder with a decisive jabbing of the hand and was on his feet, pulsing with a harsh distemper. "'Indeed, sir,' he commented. "'Indeed!' The man looked surprised at the vexation of Morton Silkline. "'I,' he began, "'I am as fully prepared as the next fellow for a trifling badinage,' Silkline interrupted, "'but not during work hours.' "'I think you fail to realize, sir, just where you are. "'This is Clooney's, a much-respected ossuary, "'not a place for trivial joking, or—' "'He shrank back and stared open-mouthed at the black-garbed man "'who was suddenly on his feet, "'eyes glittering with a light most unseemly. "'This,' the man said balefully, "'is not a joke.' "'Is not—' "'Silkline can manage no more. "'I came here,' said the man, "'with a most serious purpose in mind.' "'His eyes glowed now like cherry-bright coals. "'And I expect this purpose to be gratified,' he said. "'Do you understand?' "'I—' "'On Tuesday next,' the man continued, "'at 8.30 p.m. my friends and I will arrive here for the service. "'You will have everything prepared by then. "'Full payments will be made directly following the exequies. "'Are there any questions?' I I need hardly remind you, said the man, picking up his homburg, that this affair is of the utmost importance to me. He paused potently, before allowing his voice to sink to a forbidding basso profundo. I expect all to go well. Bowing a modicum from the waist, the man turned and moved in two regal strides across the office, pausing a moment at the door. Uh, one additional item, he said. That mirror in the foyer... "'Remove it. "'And, I might add, any others that my friends and I might chance upon "'during our stay in your parlors.' "'The man raised one grey-gloved hand. "'And now, good night.' "'When Morton Silkline reached the hall, "'his customer was just flapping out a small window. "'Quite suddenly, Morton Silkline found the floor. "'They arrived at 8.30, "'conversing as they entered the foyer of Clooney's "'to be met by a tremble-legged Morton Silkline,' "'about whose eyes hung the raccoon circles of sleepless nights. "'Good evening,' greeted the tall man, "'noting with a pleased nod the absence of the wall mirror. "'Good,' was the total of Silkline's wordage. "'His vocal cords went slack, and his eyes, embossed with days, "'moved from figure to figure in the tall man's coterie. "'The gnarled-faced hunchback whom Silkline heard addressed as Igor, "'the peak-headed crone upon whose ceremented shoulder a black cat crouched, The hulking, hairy-handed man who clicked yellow teeth together and regarded Silkline with markedly more than casual eyes. The waxen-featured little man who licked his lips and smiled at Silkline as though he possessed some inner satisfaction. The half-dozen men and women in evening dress, all cherry-eyed and lipped, and, Silkline cringed, superbly toothed. Silkline hung against the wall, mouth a circular entranceway hands twitching feebly at his sides as the chatting assemblage passed him by, headed for the eternal rest room. "'Join us,' the tall man said. Silkline stirred fitfully from the wall, and stumble-wove an erratic path down the hallway, eyes still saucer-round with stupor. "'I trust,' the man said pleasantly. "'Everything is well-prepared.' "'Oh,' Silkline squeaked. "'Oh, oh, yes.' "'Sterling,' said the man. When the two of them entered the room, the others were grouped in an admiring semicircle about the casket. "'It's good,' the hunchback was muttering to himself. "'It's a good box.' "'Aye, be that a casket or be that a casket, Delphinia,' cackled the ancient crone, and Delphinia replied, "'Meow!' While the others nodded, smiling felicitous smiles and murmuring, "'Ah, ah,' then one of the evening-dressed women said, "'Let Ludwig see.' and the semicircle split open so the tall man could pass. He ran his long fingers over the gold work on the sides and top of the casket, nodding appreciatively. Splendid, he murmured, voice husky with emotion. Quite splendid. Just what I always wanted. You picked a beauty, lad, said a tall white-haired gentleman. Well, try it on for size, the chuckling crone declared. Smiling boyishly, Ludwig climbed into the casket and wriggled into place. "'A perfect fit,' he said contentedly. to look good,' mumbled Igor, nodding crookedly. "'Look good in box.' Then the hairy-handed man demanded they begin, because he had an appointment at nine-fifteen, and everyone hurried to their chairs. "'Come, Doc,' said the crone, waving a scrawny hand at the ossified silk line. "'Sit by my side. I likes the pretty boys, I do, eh, Delvinia?' Delphinia replied, Please, Jenny, Ludwig Asper asked her, opening his eyes a moment. I'm serious, you know what this means to me. The crone shrugged. Aye, aye, she muttered, then pulled off her peaky hat and fluffed it dank curls as the zombie stiff silk line quivered into place beside her, aided by the guiding hand of the little waxen-faced man. "'Hello, pretty boy,' the crone whispered, leaning over and jabbing a spear point elbow into Silkline's ribs. "'Then the tall, white-haired gentleman from the Carpathian Zone rose, and the service began. "'Good friends,' said the gentleman, "'we have gathered ourselves within these bud-wreathed walls to pay homage to our comrade, Ludwig Asper, "'whom the pious and unyielding fates have chosen to pluck from existence and place within that bleak sarcophagus.' of all eternity a faint round of murmurs passed igor wept and the waxen-featured little man sitting on the other side of morton silkline leaned over to murmur tasty but silkline wasn't sure it was in reference to the funeral address and thus the gentleman from carpathia went on we collect our bitter selves about this our kobradsbia about this litter of sorrow this cairn this cromlech This unhappy tumulus, clearer, clearer, demanded Jenny, stamping one pointy-toed and petulant shoe. Said Delphinia, and the crone winked one blood-laced eye at Silkline, who shrank away only to brush against the little man who gazed at him with berry eyes, and murmured once again, tasty. The white-haired gentleman paused long enough to gaze down his royal nose at the crone. Then he continued. This mastaba, this sorrowing tope, this gut, this dread dachma. What did he say? asked Igor, pausing in mid-sob. What? What? This ain't no declamation, turny lad, the crone declared. Keep it crisp, I say. Ludwig raised his head again, a look of pained embarrassment on his face. Jenny, he said, please. Ow, toad's teeth, snapped the crone jadedly, and Delphinia moaned. Requiescat in pace, dear brother,' the Count went on testily, "'the memory of you shall not perish with your untimely sepulture. "'You are, dear friend, not so much out of the game as playing on another field.' "'At which the hairy-handed man rose and hulked from the room with the guttural announcement, "'Go!' "'And Silkline felt himself rendered an icicle as he heard a sudden padding of clawed feet "'on the hallway rug and a baying which echoed back along the walls.' ''Oldgate says he has a dinner appointment,'' the little man decided with a bright-eyed smile. Sulkline's chair creaked with shuddering. The white-haired gentleman stood tall and silent, his red eyes shut, his mouth tight-lipped with aristocratic pique. ''Count,'' pleaded Ludwig, ''please.'' ''Am I to endure these vulgar calumnies?'' asked the count. ''These...'' ''Well, la da crooned Jenny to her cat. ''Silence, woman!'' roared the count his head disappearing momentarily in a white trailing vapor, then reappearing as he gained control. Ludwig sat up, face a twist of aggravation. Jenny, he declared, I think you'd better leave. You think to throw old Jenny of Boston out? the crone challenged. Well, you gotta think coming that's coming then. And as a shriveling silk line watched, the crone slapped on her pointed hat and spouted minor lightning at the fingertips. A snail-backed Delphinia bristled ebony hairs as the count stepped forward, hand outstretched to clamp onto the crone's shoulder, then stiffened in mid-stride as sizzling fire ringed him. "'Ha!' cried Jenny while a horror-stricken Silk Lion gagged. "'My rug!' "'Jenny!' Ludwig cried, clambering out. The crone gestured, and all the flowers in the room began exploding like popcorn. "'No!' Oh, moaned Silk Lion as the curtains flared and split. Chairs were overthrown, the Count bicarbonated to a hissing stream of white which flew at Jenny, who flung up her arms and vanished, cat and all, in an orange spume as the air grew thick with squeaks and rib-winged flapping. Just before the bulb beside Morton's silk line toppled forward, the waxen-faced man leaned over, smiling toothfully, squeezed the director's numbed arm, and muttered, "'Tasty!' Then Silkline was at one with the rug." Morton Silkline slumped in his sable leathered chair, still twitching slightly, even though a week had passed since the nerve splitting event. On his desk lay the note that Ludwig Asper had left pinned to his unconscious chest. Sir, it read, except, in addition to this bag of gold, which I trust will cover all costs, my regrets that full decorum was not affected by the guests at my funeral. For, save for that, the entire preparation was most satisfactory to me. Silkline put down the note and grazed a loving touch across the hill of glinting coins on his desk. Through judicious inquiry, he had gleaned the information that a connection in Mexico, namely a cosmetician nephew in Carrillo's cut-rate catacomb, could safely dispose of the gold at mutual profit. All things considered, the affair had not really been as bad as all... Morton Silkline looked up as something entered his office. He would have chosen to leap back screaming and vanish in the flowered pattern of the wallpaper, but he was too petrified. Once more gape-mouthed, he stared at the huge, tentacled, ochre-dripping shapelessness that weaved and swayed before him. "'A friend,' it said politely, recommended you to me. Silkline sat, bug-eyed, for a lengthy moment, but then his twitching hand accidentally touched the gold again, and he found strength. "'You've come?' he said, breathing through his mouth, to the right place, uh, sir, <clears throat> uh, pumps." he swallowed mightily and braced himself, for all circumstances, he reached for his pen, blowing away the yellow-green smoke which was beginning to obscure the office, name of the deceased, he asked, businesslike,